Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. I'm hoping she'll go to lunch with me after church. I got a, I'm preaching from the entire third chapter today, so we'll get out about two o'clock, so it might be more like supper. <laughs> well, it's a great day uh, in the Lord, and we're so glad you're here, and thank you for uh, your presence today. If you are a guest of First Baptist Church, uh, you're visiting with us. Maybe if you live in town, just moved here, or you're passing through. We have a lot of people who pass through, and it's always a joy to see them. A lot of people who camp out at our seashore park come to church here. And we're, if you're one of those, we're glad you're here. And what we ask of you today is that you worship with us and just honor our Lord and Savior with us today. And also, fill out the guest ticket so we can have a record of your visit. One thing we get every week is prayer requests on the back page. And we take those seriously and we pray for them. You can check for the staff only and or the church body. Uh, some prayer requests just need to be kept uh, close, so to speak. And we honor that and we'll certainly pray for that. So please be aware of that and we ask that of you. We also have something uh, in addition to to our guests to celebrate today. Um, tomorrow is the 20th of March. You know what that means? It means two things. Today's the 19th. <laughs> and tomorrow is Bill and Debbie Mowers' 53rd wedding anniversary. And um, they're not in our midst today, but they are present with us via technology, watching us on our live stream. And so, uh, Brother Bill, Miss Debbie, we love you, and uh, you are recovering from a hospital stay. We know that, and uh, we rejoice in your 53 years of marriage. We recognize marriages uh, of 50 years and above because uh, we want to uh, celebrate what the Lord has done. And we also want to see an example. Amen? Yes. An example. And Bill and Debbie are certainly an example for us. Bill uh, was saved later in life. 
because a group of men in this church made him a mission, along with his wife and family. They made him a mission, and he's become one of the sweetest Christian gentlemen, along with Miss Debbie, sweet Christian lady. So we rejoice uh, with their big day uh, tomorrow. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll continue in worship. Father, today we do thank you uh, for 53 years of marriage to celebrate. Uh, we thank you for your saving grace, the victory you have given us in Christ Jesus. We're grateful for the Word of God. We're grateful that uh, your people are a singing people because it helps us give voice to what's in our hearts and on our minds on the Lord's day to give you praise and glory and to testify of all you have done for us and the blessings we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, today we also pray for our missions, the over 200 souls that our people are burdened for. My name listed out. We pray for them, Lord. Somewhere, wherever they may be, may you get them up and put within them a desire to go somewhere where they can hear the gospel. You would arrange those providential encounters for opportunities to hear the gospel. And you, Lord, would have the Holy Spirit, the second person or the third person of the Godhead, active in his convicting work. And we know that, Lord, that Jesus will save when he's called upon. And we pray that would be the case in our missions today. And it's in Jesus' name we ask you these things. Amen and amen. Well, if I had known Dr. Mike was planning to preach so long, I'd have sung a few more songs, too. We've just um, all been here all day long. No, it's good to be in the Lord's house. I'm excited to see you and thankful that, uh, that we are, have been allowed to gather here today. Let's all stand up together as we... Uh, sing and worship the Lord with our voices lifting. I want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. The Word of God tells us, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And aren't you thankful for what Jesus means to you? The grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the power, the ability to face situations and overcome. Let's sing, all the earth will sing his praises.
as we worship and praise the great name of Jesus today, we are mindful that we do not come to you on our own. We are not great. Lord, we are small. You are great. You have created us. We will never be equal to or greater than our creator. Father, we, we may approach you with boldness and we may worship you, Father, with total abandon because you are the one, as Paul told us in Ephesians as through the Holy Spirit, that you're the one that made us alive in Christ when we were dead. We couldn't do anything to be saved, to be worthy of being saved. We couldn't clean ourselves up before we came to you. We couldn't even come to you. You had to come to us. And Father, we're glad you did. Thank you for your great name that allows us to sing how great is our God. And Father, may we take that message from this place and spread it everywhere we go, everywhere that you've placed us so that people know that Jesus is the overcomer. He's the one who has overcome and he's the one that allows us to overcome sin and hurt and death. Father, in everything that Satan can think of to throw at us because Jesus has defeated it. We are strong in Christ. Your word says in our weakness, you are strong. So Father, fill us up. Make us strong with Jesus today. In his great name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
Thank you, choir. The victor's crown. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel, the third chapter, as we make our way through this interesting portion of God's Word that gives us so many truths and reminders and insights into the character of God from these people that He used and that He brought to power and lifted up and took down and all of these events that happened in real history. The Bible says these things are our examples. They're written for our edification to teach us lessons. And uh, we have to uh, remember that as we go through this book uh, verse by verse. Once again, for chapter 3, we have to remind ourselves of what Paul said to the young preacher Timothy. He said, all Scripture, including 2 Samuel chapter 3 and 2 Samuel chapter 4, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is breathed out by God, the very Word that God has given us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It profits us. It profits us for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. It teaches us how to live in the righteousness of Christ. That the man of God, you and me, may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished, Unto all good works. If you want to do the good works of God, you have to know the Bible. And to know the Bible, you got to know all of it. And to know all of it, you got to spend a lifetime in it. You just got to spend time in it. And also, you got to be in 2 Samuel from time to time. And here we are. This morning, we come to the end of Abner, that character we have been studying. For the last couple of weeks. Now, there's many ways to approach um, this text of Scripture. If you are reading ahead, um, it's very obvious uh, what happened because what happened is detailed for us in Scriptures. It's written out for us very clearly. Uh, my problem is not knowing what happened or even what it means. It means what it means, but my, my problem has been how do, you, how do you apply this? How do we take these things that seem to be so brutal and foreign to our experience, uh, for the most part thus far in America, uh, I mean, we don't have anybody going in the White House doing some of what these guys did, but um, uh, how do we apply it? Well, the way you do that is, is you ask the question, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself? What does this teach me about the principles that God has laid down from eternity, past, that are always and forever the same type of principles? And so we're going to take a look at the end of Abner, and we're going to see four principles that are outlined in the Word of God that I hope will help you and encourage you and, and um, teach you some things about 
our God. And um, all these principles are also outlined in the book of Proverbs that we're going to give today. It's real interesting. Proverbs, for the most part, not all of it, but for the most part, was written by Solomon, David's son. And now David is, is experiencing all of these things, and I'm just wondering if as David would sit down with his son like uh, people do and tell them their life's experiences of Solomon was gaining insight uh, from the Lord to give us some of the wisdom in Proverbs. The key text in chapter 3, though, is um, verse 33. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dies. So I entitled this message, The Abner Principle, or Where a Fool Dies. And I'm going to show you that Abner died a fool's death because of where he died. And so let's look at the first principle I want to highlight from the life and experience of Abner. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger still, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. As I read that, I think of Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1 which says, as you see on the screen, he that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And that without remedy. We have been, as we said, examining Abner for some time and we found him to be a manipulator, an opportunist, somebody who was out for himself, wanted position, perhaps wanted to be the king himself of Israel. We saw how he manipulated the weak son of Saul named Ishbosheth and stole him away and took him to Mahanaim, way away from David and Hebron and crowned him as king of the 11 tribes and manipulated the 11 tribes to crank up a rebellion that lasted for seven and a half years. It was a bloody rebellion. He manipulated an entire nation and for seven and one half years wreaked havoc in Israel simply by disobeying what God said through Samuel that David was to be the king. Simply in disobedience. And verse 1 says he won no victories. He never had a break. Nothing ever came his way. Nothing ever came about for him. He grew weaker and weaker and was taking the nation down with him, one step at a time. It was as if Abner often reproved. He should have known better from that first battle we looked at a couple of weeks ago where 24 men died needlessly and over 300 men were slain on the battlefield as he fled and Abner, in defense of himself, killed Joab's brother, Azahel. We saw that bloody massacre. And just by a, a way of manipulation and being sneaky, he convinced Joab to walk away. And the seven-and-a-half-year battle 
war went just like that at every turn. Abner always being reproved. Should have seen it. He couldn't claim ignorance because he knew that David was to be king. And he just hardened his neck and hardened his neck and hardened his neck. And at the end of our chapter, he dies a fool's death. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anyone whose life is just seems to be constantly in a tailspin? They're just falling and falling and they can't fix it. They just can't correct themselves. They go from one tragic experience deeper into it at every turn, just in a tailspin. I was praying for one of our missions this morning, and I uh, read that name, and it's the perfect example of Abner, just growing weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Has heard the truth, heard the truth, been confronted, been confronted. People have done everything they could over and over again, and they just harden their necks and will not repent. And unless something changes, they're going to die a fool's death. Do you know anybody like that? Let me ask you something. Two questions. If you do, are they your mission? And if they, if you do, if they're not, why aren't they? That's the person you need to be your mission. So that's the first principle from chapter 3 and verse 1. The unrepentant just grow weaker and weaker, and they harden their necks, and life never gets better because they don't turn to the Lord. Now let's read the continuing in the story and uh, see another principle from Proverbs. Skip on down to verse 6. We dealt with uh, David and his wives last week, so skip on down to verse 6. And we read through verse 11. And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Ritzpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone into my father's concubine? Then was Abner wroth. He was very angry for the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head, which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David? that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman. So do God to Abner, and more also except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate, transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner a word, because he was afraid of him. I think about Proverbs 16 and verse 18 when I read that verse or this text that says like this, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. you got to get the picture. 
Abner is losing the war. But in the midst of all that loss, refusing to repent, refusing to see his end, he makes himself strong for the house of Saul. In other words, he begins to manipulate around to where he himself will become king of Israel. He's, he's Saul's cousin, so he's in good line for it, but he, he wants to be king. His kingdom and his war is being lost, and Ishbosheth is growing weaker and weaker and weaker. And so Abner still holds on to that ambitious goal, contrary to the will of God, to make himself king. That's what he wants. And upon a day, he goes into the court, and Ishbosheth accuses him of going into his harem, Saul's harem, and sleeping with one of his concubines by the name of Ritzpah. Now, we're introduced to this lady here in this text, and I will tell you that she has a very sad, very upsetting life experience. She was one of Saul's concubines, his harem, produced sons for Saul, as we will see later, but her entire experience being connected to Saul's family has been a disaster one right after another. This is not the last time we will see Ritzpah. But here, as if it's not bad enough, she is a pawn in the hands of Ishbosheth and Saul. And Ishbosheth accuses him of going into Saul's harem, which was now Ishbosheth's harem. Now, if you did this, it was an act of treason. It was an act of treachery. It was an overt act to show that you are seeking to usurp the throne and take it for yourself. Now, it is unclear in the text whether or not Abner actually went in to Ritzpah. It's unclear in the text. If you read, if you stack up all the commentaries on 2 Samuel chapter 3, you're going to see there's 50% of them who will say he did it, and then there's going to be 50% of them who say he didn't do it. So at the very beginning, a year or so ago, I consulted one of the greatest theologians I know on personalities. And the saxophonist said that Abner is a snake in the grass. He is as sorry as he can be. And she said, of course he did it. And I said, well, the scriptures really don't say. And she said, Michael. And I said, hold it. You're calling me by my full middle name. I agree with you, he did it. But I really don't know. And furthering our conversations, we both determined that we really don't know. Here's the deal. Abner did not deny it, did he? We read the text. And the scriptures doesn't say that he did do it. It just says Ishbosheth said he did it. So we really don't know, but it really doesn't matter because Abner the opportunist, Abner the manipulator, 
saw an opportunity to get out of a bad situation while maintaining his opportunistic ambition. He, he, he saw the opportunity to better himself in a terrible situation. He did not respond to Ishbosheth saying, Your claim is unjust. His reaction was not based on justice, it was based upon ingratitude. He said, I served your father on the battlefield. I served your father well all these years. I made you king of Israel. Am I a dog's head that would betray you? Am I a dog's head who has gone and shown kindness to David? No, I have rallied for you and I have rallied with you. How dare you accuse me and say this of me? And Ishbosheth crawled into a position shaking in his boots, scared to death. He couldn't answer him. He was scared to death. Remember, he's, he's not a strong man. And Abner knew exactly what to say and how to say it. And then Abner said it. I'm going to take the kingdom of Israel and I'm going to give it to David. I'm turning against you and I'm taking it to David. I'm going to lead the whole army. I'm going to lead every Israelite farmer. I'm going to lead all the merchant men. The whole nation is going to follow me and we're going to go to David. Very arrogant. Very pompous. Very haughty in spirit to say, I can do this because he could do it and he did do it. He had this arrogant pride to turn against Ishbosheth so very easy. Well, once again, he basically says, I'm done with you. My opportunity for advancement is done here. We're losing anyway. I'm going to go over to David, and I'm going to do my best to rise up in the ranks in David's court. may never be king, but at least I'll get further than I am now. He goes from one ambitious, arrogant goal to another. And then we read in chapter 12, over chapter 3, verse 12, what happens next. Look at here. Pride goes before the fall. He's heading towards a fool's death, and he takes the next step in verse 12. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto you. And David said, I love, I love this. This is really neat how David says in verse 13. Look, look what he says. And he said, well, see that? Well, I tell you what, I'll make a league with you, but one thing I require of thee, and that is thou shalt not see my face, except you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michael, 
which I espoused for me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Phaltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her to Bahurim. Then said Abner unto him, Go back, go back, return. And he returned. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, You sought for David in times past to be the king over you? Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my Lord the king that they may make a league with thee and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desires. And David sent Abner away in peace. I think of the principle from Proverbs 28 and verse 13 which says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. One of the questions raised, and it's an obvious answer, when Abner went to, sent messengers to David to say, make a league with me and I'll give you all of Israel and serve you. Was Abner sincere? You know, there's some folks who say he was sincere because of David's reaction later in the chapter when Abner died. I don't think he was sincere. You know why I don't think he was sincere? Because he wasn't sincere. How do I know he wasn't sincere? Because Abner has everything he needed to go to the king. He was wise enough to send messengers, not go himself. He sent the messengers on ahead with a white flag, didn't go himself. He had that wisdom. But he did not have repentance. And he did not have total surrender. And he did not have real commitment to David. He was committed to himself, and his surrender was conditional. Make a league with me. And he was not changing his mentality. He wasn't changing the way he would approach a king. He had always approached Ishbosheth with what's in it for me? What's my opportunity? He had always approached David. Now he starts to approach David. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? There is absolutely zero repentance. You see, he wanted to give David a quid pro quo. He didn't want to give David complete surrender and lordship over his life. He didn't repent of his past sins. There's no mention of him saying, David, I started this war. I started this war at the pool of Gibeah. I started this war. I'm the one who said, let the young men play, and 24 men lost their lives. 
I'm the one who fled all night long and, and, and over 300 men died. I'm the one who has sent out men to battle for seven and a half years and I have been wrong and I have been wrong and I have seen that now God has afflicted me with weakness upon weakness upon weakness and today I repent and I beseech your mercy. No, he didn't come in repentance. He came with an opportunist attitude. What's in it for me? Make a league with me and I'll give you all of Israel. I'll give you all of Israel. So the question, was Abner sincere? Is absolutely not. Dear friend, you do not approach the greater son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, with a bargaining mentality. You approach him in complete, unconditional, total surrender. And you, you approach him in humble repentance, not in a self-centered manner. You don't cover up your sin and say, that's behind me, now's a new way to get a new opportunity. Nope, that's what Abner did. He covered his sin. And we're going to see he doesn't prosper. See, he wanted a new future without dealing with his past. You want a future with God? You've got to deal with your past. You've got to deal with yesterday. You've got to deal with 10 minutes ago. You've got to deal with your sin. You've got to have your sin confronted, confessed, and forgiven in order to be received by the king. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I can read just like you can. And David accepted Abner. As a matter of fact, David gave Abner a feast. Well, we're going to see God's bigger than David. But let me ask you this question. Was David fooled? Do you think he was fooled by this? I don't believe he was. He could have been. He, he is many times over in the scriptures a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ but he's human and uh, he's going to he's going to going to sin and and he's apt to be fooled but I don't think David was fooled I think David exercised great faith here I think he exercised great faith because he knew that he was to be king he knew that and he knew that the Philistines aren't going to get rid of him he knew the Amalekites weren't going to get rid of him. And he knew Saul and Ishbosheth were never going to get rid of him. And he knew Abner couldn't get rid of him. I think David was being a statesman for the country. I think David was trying to end the bloodshed. I think David was being wise. And so he said, I will make a league with you. And we see some of David's political acumen here. I mean, look. Uh, I would not want to go against David politically. He does some politically, politically interesting things here. And so he kind of receives Abner as Abner sends those messengers and he sends out overtures of peace because he sees an opportunity to end the war, to end bloodshed. And he knows God's got him as king. That's okay. He's in the hands of God with that. He says, I'm not scared of Abner. Abner may try, but he can't stab me in the back. 
And so he makes these overtures of peace and he takes the opportunity and the manipulating Abner sort of meets his match with King David. David says, I tell you what, Abner, I will make a league with you on this condition. Years ago, when I was a young man, Saul, who was king, said, whoever will kill a hundred Philistines will have my daughter's hand in marriage. And he said, I went out and I killed a hundred Philistines. Y'all remember that story in 1 Samuel? And Saul gave David, Michael, his daughter. Now, the saxophonist said that they did love one another. And I concur. And there was a, a good bond with them. Michael loved David. But when David got on the run from Saul and Saul grew jealous and, and, and tried to kill David many times, David had to flee. And Saul, in a great insult to David, took Michael and gave her to another man. The man's name is in our text. We read it. Faltiel, that's his name. Interesting. And so for about 10 years, David was without his first wife, Michael, and he started marrying these other women. Remember that? And so now, all these years later, David says, I want my first wife back. But did you notice when we read the text, Here's another political genius of David. He contacts Ishbosheth and he says to Ishbosheth, now you got to understand this to understand the next chapter. He contacts Ishbosheth and says, Ishbosheth, I want my wife Michael, your sister. I want her back. Ishbosheth says, Go get her and take her to David. Ishbosheth is surrendering. He's surrendering. This was a political move on David's part and a political response on Ishbosheth's part. He is surrendering. Ishbosheth is now a moot point. He is in David's graces. Next week we'll see more. Stay tuned next week. Come back. But Ishbosheth has surrendered, and Abner is sent. To get him. And the Bible says um, that as Abner was bringing her along, I, I, I don't know how that much, he must have just busted in the door and said, Michael, get your things, you're coming with us. One suitcase, you're coming with us. Well, I got to get my makeup and all that. No, come on, let's go. You can put your makeup on on the camel, let's go. Oh, me. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and off they go. And Faltiel's following along crying and weeping. I mean, he's just, he's a basket case. Wouldn't you be if somebody, they came and got your wife like that? Boy, I would be. No, I'd defend her to the hilt. But he's he running along behind. He's crying and weeping. And, and Abner stops and says, Get back. And Faltiel says, okay, and goes back. 
He knew Abner. And he goes back. There are several lessons we learn from Fautiel. There's a bunch of them. But you got to come Wednesday night. That's when I'm going to speak on Fautiel. You can come eat a meal, and we'll have Bible study about Fautiel, the pastor's Bible study. But I want to give you one lesson today. You don't get to take what belongs to God and expect to keep it. It may be all right now. It may seem all is well and the home is happy. And, and you're getting up every morning and you're looking at Michael. And you're coming home from work and there's Michael who belongs to the king. But one day, like those fire ants we talked about last week, God's going to come for what is his, and he's going to get it. Amen? Woo, I could preach all day on that, Miss Tracy. i tell you what I just, what about the tithe? Amen or on me? God's going to get it. It might go to a mechanic or the washing machine store, but God's going to get it. Amen. What about that vow you made unto the Lord? What about that promise you made to God some years ago? There's a whole chapter in the book of Leviticus about keeping your vows to the Lord. Psalm chapter 50 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. God's going to get it. God's going to get it. That's good preaching, whether it's off script or not. Amen. Oh, there's a chasing rabbit. Come Wednesday night, we're going to preach more about 5TL. Get a free lunch and eat, or supper and eat. Well, David does not ignore Ishbosheth. He's politically smart. I'm sure there were personal reasons with Michael. They did love one another. But he deals in a political way, with the wisdom of God upon him. And it shows all Israel now, David has consumed the solid line. Israel, the war is all but over. It's done. Ishbosheth, the king, has surrendered to the king of kings. Well, what about Abner? What about Abner? He's still a manipulator. He's still trying to weasel his way in and get as high a position as he can. But read with me verse 22. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. Those are awful words. Joab came home. And they brought in great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. Once again, he tells us there was peace with David and Abner. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he is gone in peace. Third time. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away? And he is quite gone. 
Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive you and to know thy going out and thy coming in and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. So Joab did a sneaky thing. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib, and he died for the blood of Aziel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. Let there not fail from the house of Joab one that has an issue or that is a leper or that leans on a staff or that falls upon the sword or that lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Aziel at Gibeon in the battle. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the buyer, the funeral buyer. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dies. Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so fell thou. And all the people wept again over him. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swears, saying, So do God to me, and more also, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it. And it pleased them at whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zariah, be too hard for me. That's Joab and Abishai's brother. They're too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. I think of Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Joab comes home. You remember from a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2, Joab, brother Azahel, was killed by Abner on the battlefield. It was not murder. It was an act of war. As a matter of fact, Abner even warned him and said, go fight one of the young men. I'll kill you, son. Go fight one of the young men and get his armor. But Azahel kept on. And Joab had seethed on that night return and that retreat all night long with bitterness and hatred, and it just festered all this time. And now, all these years later, Joab sees the opportunity to wreak his vengeance. He hates Abner. And his brother Abishai hates Abner. Now, though, we see a truth that's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to understand because we have experienced so much of the grace of God. 
But yet Proverbs teaches us, this teaches us, the Bible history teaches us that God uses even the wicked for his own purposes. And God had a Joab for Abner, a wicked man. God had an Abner for David. God had accomplished his purpose with Abner. All the while, Abner could have repented and been on the other side of God's purpose. But God's purpose was not put away because of Abner's action. God used Abner and his wickedness and his foolishness to bring about his purpose. How did God use Abner? Well, one way was he used Abner to judge the 11 tribes who ignored Samuel's word that David was to be king and they followed Ishbosheth. And for seven and a half years, sons did not come home. For seven and a half years, blood shed all over the land in civil war because of Abner. And God judged that nation that devastated them. God used Abner to elevate David, to lift David up as king. Ishbosheth was scared to death of Abner, and when Abner defected to David, Ishbosheth said, It's over. And when David said, Ishbosheth, give me my wife, Ishbosheth said, I surrender. It's over. God used Abner for that circumstance. He used Abner to reveal the gracious and merciful character of David. When Abner came to him in insincerity, David was political, but he was also gracious. And when Abner died, at the brutal hands of Joab, Abner had a state funeral. David gave him a state funeral. He said, nobody eats, everybody weeps, everybody tear your clothes, everybody put on the ashes. Abner is dead and we're going to mourn him as a nation. And David himself followed the funeral fire. A state funeral. And the Bible said, you heard me read it, all of Israel was pleased. I wish we had the intelligence in our political world in America today that we do here in 2 Samuel. David said, I'm going to put forth a good show effort to those 11 tribes. I'm going to let them know it was not me who did this. It was done contrary to my wishes and my order. And the Bible says all Israel was pleased. No wonder in chapter 5 they're all going to come to David and say, you are our king. We want you to be gracious and merciful to us. I don't know why it took seven and a half years. We'll, we'll talk about that in chapter 5. But I want to tell you something. They all came because David acted with grace and mercy. David was kind, and he was wise. If he had slew Abner and celebrated Abner's death, the 11 tribes would have been suspicious. They would have said, we'll find no mercy. <laughs> there will be no reconstruction. <laughs> They'll crush us. But David said, I will be gracious. And the people saw it. God was finished with Abner. 
Abner was used for the purposes of God, but he was on the wrong side of that use. He was on the wrong side of that purpose. And when God was through with him, he was gone. You say, preacher, that's very harsh. I, I can't believe you would preach such a thing and, and believe such a Surely you believe it if you preach it. Indeed, I do. You don't think God can use wicked people and when he is done with them, it's over? Let me give you a few. You ready? There was a man we call Pharaoh. God wanted to redeem Israel out of Egypt. And he wanted to show his mighty hand to Israel and his great glory and his power over the false gods of humanity. Pharaoh said, I'll not let them go. God said, all right, you harden your heart, I'll harden it too. I'll give you what you want. But you're not going to keep my people in Egypt. When it's all said and done, they're leaving, Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh, when it's all said and done, you're going to pay them to leave. You ever have somebody in your life you just pay them to leave? Well, if anybody brings a bunch of locusts in my house, I'm paying them to leave. And God took them out. There was a, let me give you a whole nation. You ever heard of Babylon? Habakkuk said, how in the world, God, are you not going to judge our nation? We're sinful. And God says, oh, I'm going to judge you. And Habakkuk said, how? And God said, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And God said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Or Habakkuk said, wait, wait, wait. The Babylonians are more wicked than we. Why are you going to do that? God said, don't question me. I'll do what I want to do with who I want to do it with. And the Babylonians came. And then God sent the Persians to crush the Babylonians when he was through with them. You, you believe it now? And I want to tell you, read the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. 23, old Peter's preaching. And he says, God used wicked hands to put Jesus on the cross. God uses wicked men and they are without repentance and they do not come to the Lord. They harden their neck. They do not deal with their sin. They do not prosper. But God's purposes roll on and God uses them to roll it. And when God is done with them, they're dead. That's Abner. That's Abner. Wow. Even the wicked for the day of evil. So, not only... Was Abner on the wrong side of God's purpose, but he was in the wrong place. Now, Abner, David said, died as a fool dies. How does a fool die? A fool dies like they live. That's how Abner died. He was manipulated, remember? He had gone, Joab sent for him, deceived him. He came back to Hebron, and Joab goes outside the city gate one night and says, hey, uh, go in there and get Abner. I want to talk to him. And Abner says, okay, I'll talk to Joab. The war's over and, and I'm defected. Surely he's going to line something up for me. Maybe make me a commanding officer. You know, give me some stars. And he manipulates him. He reaps what he sows, doesn't he? God had a Joab. And he stabs him under the fifth rib. That means it was a fatal blow. 
He died like he lived in a manipulative manner. But how does a fool die? A fool dies in the wrong place. Abner was Jewish. He was an Israelite, as all these characters are. Joab was an Israelite. Joab and Abner knew the law of God. They knew that before Joshua went into the promised land and, and took what God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and made their home there, that God had said, when you get into the land, I want you to take six cities, three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other side of the Jordan. And he said, they're going to be called cities of refuge. And if anybody kills someone, the one who did the killing can flee to one of those cities. They're near to everybody. They were all close by. All right? They're all close by. It'd be like going to Gulfport in most cases at the most. They'll be close by, and they can go inside that city, and they're safe because the family of the victim cannot touch them while they're in that city of refuge. Cannot touch them. Inside the city of refuge, they will have a trial. And in that trial, they will be declared innocent or guilty. If they're guilty, they will be executed. Of murder, they'll be executed. If it's just an accident or they didn't do it, they'll be acquitted. And they'll stay inside the city until the high priest dies and the family of the victim cannot get vengeance. But if they step outside that city, they're free game. Hebron was one of those cities. Did you know that? The capital of David was one of those cities. And so Abner was inside the city of Hebron, probably eating leftovers from that feast. And he was safe. Joab comes home, and Joab says, Hey, Abner, come on outside in the gate. Now, you had the city around the wall, and outside you had a gate. It was outside the city limits. It's where they would hold judgment, and people would pass through, and customs were collected, and all that. And Abner foolishly stepped outside the city no longer in the place of refuge. And Joab murdered him right there. Joab was righteous just enough to not do anything, not commit murder in a city of refuge, so he got him out unrighteously, by the way. See, a fool dies outside of Christ, our refuge. That's where a fool dies. And by the way, I said that if the man was found innocent, he stayed there till the death of the high priest. He's in that refuge. I will say this, our high priest never dies. When you're in Christ, you're always in refuge. And no vengeance for your sin, right, indifferent, ever how, inadvertent, no vengeance will be wreaked upon you because you're in refuge. Let me say one more thing. We'll close. You've got to get this. 
Did you notice in verse 39, David said, I am weak, although I am anointed king. That goes back to how we began. David knew he was king. He knew and had confidence in God and faith. But after Abner's murder, he was weak. And he says, these sons of Zeruah are too hard for me. I can't handle Joab and his brother Abishai. I can't do it. They're loose cannons. Well, there's two things about this. First of all, these two brothers, Joab, they were David's nephews. As we go through 2 Samuel, we're going to see that David had a hard time bringing justice to his family, and it caused him problems. Some people say, well, David should have been harsh with Joab and had him executed because he murdered Abner. Eye for an eye. But David says, I don't know how to deal with them. They're too hard for me. See, Joab is a remarkable character. He, he's, he's interesting because he never lost a fight. As a matter of fact, in this text, we see him going to collect spoil for the kingdom. He never lost a fight. Seven and a half years in civil war, never lost a battle. He was George Patton on steroids. And David said, I don't know what to do with him. He's too hard for me. I don't know how to handle him. And you know, as I read that, preparing for these messages, I thought about people in leadership, whether you're a city leader, an alderman, mayor, a political leader, maybe you're Mike Ezell up in Congress, Senator Wicker, President of the United States, whoever it is, pastor, Sunday school teacher, school superintendent or principal. And I thought about how, Lord, how hard it is to deal with some people. Amen. Think about it. If David had said, Joab committed murder, I'm going to have him executed. I'm going to apply the justice of God on him, eye for an eye. He might have lost the army. He might have lost his army. He ne Joab never lost a fight. The army loved him. The army loved him. And David just didn't know what to do. And so... He had a, some wisdom. He had a state funeral for Abner, and he blamed Joab for it. But he also had the wisdom to say this, the Lord, verse 39, shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. David didn't know what to do, and so he said, we're going to wait on the Lord. Abner got his judgment that night. Joab would get his justice 33 years later. 33 years down the road. David is on his deathbed. Solomon is to become king. 
And it's one of, the, one of the most memorable lines in all the Scripture. David says to Solomon, you better take care of this guy. You better do this. You better take care of him. You better take care of him. And then he says, and do not let the gray head of Joab go to the grave in peace. And David was thinking of Joab through 40 years. You see, Abner teaches us that when things are going bad and down, we need to turn to the Lord in repentance. And then he goes to David, and David says, I'll make a league with you, and David makes peace with him and feeds him. Abner teaches us that just because things look like they're going their way does not mean that you have dealt with your sin in repentance. Because there's always a Joab. There's a Joab in your life. You need to repent and deal with your past sins so you can have a future with the king. And it needs to be in Christ Jesus, our refuge. I pray you know him. I pray that, that you have had dealings with the King of Kings to where your sins are forgiven and you stay in Christ Jesus, our refuge, and do not die like a fool. Let's stand for our song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.